turn in your Bibles to James 1. In our series on the symptoms of a healthy church, today I want to deal with the subject of it's a practicing church. Uh, we can all brag that we go to a Bible church. We can even be blessed and say, the Bible is preached at the church I go to. And that's fine and dandy. But it doesn't mean we're doing the Word. It just says, uh, I go where the Word is preached, you know. And we get almost sanctimonious about that. And we can be like Sardis that says, you've got a name that you're alive, but you're really dead. You've got a better reputation than you have reality. You've got a reputation for the Word, a reputation for doing a lot of stuff. I tell you, I'd rather have reality than the reputation. Uh, there's sometimes people will brag on me about stuff we did in the past, and, and it sounds good. Have you ever done something wonderful in the past that you stopped doing? Well, I have. And uh, maybe had prayer times. This And they say, boy, there's nothing like it. And they're, they're complimenting you in the present, and you say, why did they ever stop doing that? I didn't even know it was having any effect. It's like since we've been off the radio, everybody's heard me on the radio after I will go off. Nobody hardly wrote. I got three letters while I was on saying go off. Not really because we didn't raise money over the radio. We didn't try the church. People in the church kept that radio. And in our hard times, I, I didn't want to continue. Didn't want to drain the church. Uh, but I see people all the time, man, heard you on the radio. Heard I said, man, I wish you would have wrote it while we were on it. Um, and you come to this practice of the word following this symptom idea. I'm concerned about somebody that wants to hang out at a doctor's office all the time or hang out at ER just assuming they'll get well if they hang out where there's doctors. Or hang out at the pharmacy all the time because if I'm close to medicine, I'm close to health. It's not until you take the medicine that you'll ever get well. It's not until the word is assimilated, believed, and practiced that it will do you any good. Uh, you can even do great in your Christian life under lousy preaching. Uh, let me, I'll read the text. I'll get in the sermon. I'm warming up. I've been gone a few weeks. Uh, you know, I think of the people I grew up with. I knew less, but I was just as happy. That's hard on you, isn't it? You don't believe that. Well, this is my story, not yours. I didn't believe eternal security one time, but I was still a happy Christian. Can you be happy and, and not believe in eternal security? I was. I was saved to the bone, just didn't know how saved I was. This time I didn't believe election. I was still chosen, just didn't know it. But you see, I was doing everything I knew. I was doing what I knew. Then all of a sudden, I started gaining all this knowledge, going to college and seminary and learning, and, and I became educated beyond my obedience. I knew a lot more than I was doing. But now I'm ready to argue with you over doctrine because I want to straighten you out because you're wrong. And uh, because people that are listeners only become experts in stuff they don't do. And they won't always argue doctrine. Remember, it was the book of Acts, not the book of doctrine. It's what the early church did. I don't hear you out there. Amen. And in the Greek, it's the book of praxis. The book of praxis. This is what the church practiced. And the symptoms of a healthy church is a church that practices the word of God even with a fair, maybe average preacher, not so average, God's not going to judge you by the kind of preacher I am. He's going to judge you by what you did with his word. Got a lot of folks church shopping. They're always testing out preachers. I want to listen to him, see if he's got it down straight. Honey, I ain't your problem. Your problem is you in this book. Phil cuts it straight. He doesn't cut it straight. I seldom hear any flattering words. I had a woman tell me, oh, a woman told me, uh, Patty Kearns was telling this woman, you ought to come to this church. And she was inquiring. She says, well, what about it? She said, well, can you take a guy telling it straight? Doesn't sound flattering, really. Sounds kind of brutal. 
She said, you know, if you could take him telling you like it is, come on over, but you better brace yourself. I thought, well, how else am I supposed to tell it? I could say, nice, you're in sin. Or I could get loud, you're in sin. But I say, nice, meek, humble. You is what you is. Now let's read the text. This you know, my beloved brethren, James 1.19. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. In verse 18, he said it's the word of truth. Then he goes down, hear the word. Here it's the word that's implanted. Be doers of this. So he's talking about the word of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Now he's going to give us two samples, examples of false religion, true religion. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, one, but is self-deceived in his heart, and three, has got a religion that is worthless, it produces nothing. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and fathers this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. That's called charity, love. And to keep oneself unstained by the world. That's called chastity, moral, personal purity and behavior. Three things I want us to look at. First of all, the dangers of being a listener only of the Word of God. Being listeners only. Second thing, I want us to look at the delight of being a doer of the Word of God. The delight. And thirdly, I want to give you and look at what James says, the description of the behavior of true religion, false religion. So the dangers of not just being a listener of the Word, Two, the delights of doing the word. And three, a minuscule description of what false and true religion look like. The danger of listening to the word only. The casual observer. The first thing he says in verse 22, that these people who are merely hearers, they delude or they deceive themselves. And it's a Greek word in which they they get around the rules. They find the loopholes. They're, they're always changing things around so they don't have to do it. And so they're playing fast and loose with truth. They're manipulators. And so he says the listeners only that come in and think church life is going out and listening to speakers. And in the days of James, many people would go hear itinerant speakers either Greek philosophers, go to different synagogues. Uh, they were fans. They would follow different teachers. They didn't become disciples, but they, they would sample. They liked to hear people speak. The, uh, the Greeks were really enamored with oratory and fine speaking, uh, like people that are going to all these conferences, getting all these notes, and are the biggest cranks in the church. You're saying, what's your problem? You got all these notebooks, all this knowledge, and yet there's no change in you because, you see, you're really deceived. You're giving yourself credit by listening for doing, and you've not done anything. You just heard a lot, and you're in love with speaking. In the early days of this church, when we were in Pano, I had a woman 
that was a speech uh, teacher and a dramatist at Cal Berkeley. And uh, uh, I think she lived in the area where Jenny Taylor lived and somehow came to the church and became enamored with a young uh, uh, bombastic preacher in his 20s down at a dance hall with a bunch of kids. And she came week after week and she would, uh, she was uh, mesmerized by the heat in those days of, we were just exploding with truth, we were on fire, we were young, had a church just exploding with zeal and young men and women learning the word. And she was so enamored by it. She would say, what is the art of it? Uh, where do you learn to speak like that? Never did get saved. But she loved the speak, the, the oratory of it. She loved the uh, enthusiasm of the meeting. And, and where do you learn that? Where do you, uh, uh, had no clue of the truth we were conveying. She was caught up with the style of the preacher. Never planned to do what we were saying. And so she was a deceived woman. He goes on to say in verse 23, 24, that um, this person has no discernment about their condition. For anyone is a hearer and not a doer is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Uh, he owns a mirror, but it never seems to show him the dirt in his face. Because he uses the phrase, he's a casual, just take a glance kind of listener. Uh, he's like the guy, uh, this morning I shaved in the dark in front of the mirror. I couldn't tell you what I saw. I got up early, don't like to wake up my wife that early. I get up early to pray. And so I, I could shave in the dark, so I kept the lights off. But I'm standing in front of the mirror, lights all off, and I'm doing this no problem. And many a time, many a time, us men, let's just compare men in a mirror and women in a mirror. That'll give the illustration. I mean, the men just, boom. And said, did you see what was on your face? I didn't even see my face. And, and then to add things, my wife has one of these mirrors that magnify the face. <laughs> Honey, I don't even get close to it. When you're getting this old and ugly, you don't need more magnification. <laughs> I, I need some deceptive mirrors. Tell me, tell me I'm good looking. Tell me don't your brown eyes turn blue or something like that. Tell me some lies. None of this. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh no! I don't spend I don't spend a minute and a half a day in front of a mirror, and you're all saying, "And you look like it." And he's talking about this quick glance, boom! But he's comparing it to the mirror of the word. The listener type they catch quick snatches of the word. They don't have any time to just wait on God and say, "Take this mirror." Show me my attitudes. Expose, x-ray my heart. You said it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. One man says, how is it you're able to read the Bible with intensity and never walk away bleeding? This is a sharp sword. It cuts. Why don't you bleed? Some people own Bibles who are never changed by it. Because the kid snatches. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm having devotions. Snatch, I got to hurry up. You'll never be changed by being in a hurry with God. I got to hurry up, do my devotions. No, don't, don't. God heard you. Don't, don't bother. Don't bother. It won't change you anyway. Well, I did my three chapters. What did you read? I don't know. Watch what he says. Something else. People who are listeners only have spiritual dementia. Watch. He looks at himself, and he goes away, and he immediately forgets what kind of person he was. The mirror is just an illustration of the book. And say, you know, um, I don't see anything. Uh, or they'll hear a sermon, and, and you'll ask them uh, three hours from now, what did he preach on? I don't know. 
Why don't you know? You mean God didn't talk to you? Well, I just went to listen. I just wanted to uh, be nice. I get, at least I stayed. I was nice. Well, well, you're just missing everything, aren't you? You're just in a form of religion. You don't want to hear God, let's say. Well, I listened. I went to church. And he said, you need to get in front of this mirror. The listeners don't have time to look intently because they might see a rotten attitude. They may see something about them that God exposes the word. The word exposes the heart, the motives. Uh, God talks to you face to face, but it can't happen in a rust environment. You have to take time to stop. So he said this casual reader, the listener, deceives himself. Uh, they can't discern what's the problem. They forget what the Word said. And there are people that always are forgetting. That, that's why they're always running to uh, probably church all the time. I don't remember anything anyway. I'm always starting over. They're that casual, casual Russ, Russ. Did you know you could never see your eyes without a mirror? I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> you can't see your eyes without a mirror. And you can't see your life without an honest reflector. And God's word is that. Who can change you? Has anybody changed you on anything? Or you're saying, my mind's made up. I'm standing on the promises. I shall not be moved. And one woman said, I'm standing on the premises and I will not be moved. See, when you look in the word, the Word wants to change you because what you bring to the mirror isn't all together. It's not all together. Now, let's see. And he says they leave quickly in the Greek here. They leave, and it's a, a tense that they remain away. They go away, and it's like it did them no good. Did them no good. Now, he shows the delight of being a doer of the Word. Uh, instead of casual observation, this person does careful obedience. And watch uh, the delight of this person. Number one, they look intently, verse 25, but one who looks intently at the perfect law. And the word intently was the word that when they went to the tomb, they looked inside to find where Jesus had been laying. And it means they stooped down and they looked into, it says in Peter that the angels are standing on tiptoes, uh, peeping into the church, investigating what God's doing. The looking intently is uh, taking time to investigate. Second thing about it, they do it uh, continually. Notice the second, he said, at the perfect law, he abides by it. And the word abides there means he remains looking. He's got time. He looks intently, and he's just staying there, abiding and penetrating. See, there's a big difference in reading a menu and eating a meal. Some of you just are reading the menu. You never had the meal. You don't have time for the meal. But you like to read menus. And there's some of us are saying, have you tasted and seen the Lord? Have you seen that verse? You know what us boys and my, my family, what we loved about our dad? Now, our dad was just a fourth grade educated man, but he loved the word, and God talked to him, and, and he loved to talk it. He never got tired of talking the Bible, and when we got with him, we would call things, we would call little uh, scriptures that came alive, nuggets. We would say, isn't this a morsel? And when we would go, I loved, we would always love to go to lunch after service. I did with my father because we would uh, re-digest the sermon, any nuggets. We call them nuggets, diamonds. Did you see that? And it was just kind of like an old cow chewing on the cow. Isn't it wonderful? And other folks are seeing there, sure glad we got out. Got out. What were you in? Uh, well, you know, uh, what was the sermon? I don't know. But boy, the choir was good. Do you ever relish the word? Do you ever? Oh, that is precious. God gave me Psalms 90 on the 31st day of the last year. 
I'm telling you, I've chewed on Psalms 90 now for two weeks. Wow. Read what Moses said about life. Just abiding. Do you see it? Do you taste it? Can you hear him talking to you? That's the people who do it. And he says, they've come to the perfect law, and that is wonderful. The only thing perfect you're ever going to come face to face with in this life is the Word of God until you see Jesus face to face. But in the meantime, he's, guess what? There's one perfect measurement of all you are, and it's the Word of God. And he says, you observe it, you don't have to say, you don't have to fix it. It fixes you. And guess what, honey? You need to be fixed. This, this is what does it. That's why a lot of folks don't want to go to a Bible teaching church. Go get a Breeders' Digest report. Go over there and hear about politics. I'm going to put you in front of the mirror. And I'm hoping this mirror, even in the preached word, you can see who you are before God. And he said, this word is the perfect law of liberty, which means it will liberate you. It brings freedom. It liberates you from bad attitudes and whatever. Uh, I can't have Bible study without God doing surgery on me. And what he doesn't do, my wife seems to do. Uh, I mean, when I talk about you changing, I remember one time a man, uh, uh, I went through some uh, uh, deep waters and trials and misunderstandings, whatever. Uh, well, the man used to be in this church and uh, remember, after 41 years, everybody used to go here. So don't try to figure out who it is, would you? Uh, and, and so uh, loved them and had great times and all this stuff. And uh, then uh, this person left, and all of a sudden I heard that uh, what they were involved in, another church and certain responsibilities and places of position and everything. And one day at the house, I just told Carolyn, I heard about it. And I came home to, to uh, be vindicated by my wife. And I remember that man as being a jerk when he left. And that's the memory I wanted to keep. <laughs> he snapped that picture. And, and so I tell my wife, who I know will agree with their man of God husband. Come on, you sleep with me. You must agree. I said, you know what, this person does this and that, and I hear they're there, and they're doing this, and it seemed, I said, and when I got through, she said, well, you, you preach and teach that God changes people, don't you? Woman, don't be quoting the word of God to me. Don't be telling me, what, I'm a doctor. And she says, and you're wrong. God may have changed him since the last time you saw him. I hope he changes you. The word of God made me repent. And my word, and what really gets you, you don't want to hang around with people who know the word too well because God may get, speak the word through their mouth to you. And you're going to reject them, but what you're really rejecting is they gave the word of God that rebuked you. Don't tolerate people being in the wrong. Tell them what the word says. And if they don't want your friendship, hallelujah. I don't want to run with people that don't love the truth. I can't afford to run with liars. I hang out with my heart enough. It's a liar. I got to take God's word for things. I can't even trust my own heart. The doers of the word, they intently look. They peep into. They continually look at this law, and they find out it's perfect. It changes them. You don't have to fix it. And it liberates us from the wrong attitudes, liberates us from discouragement, uh, liberates us from a thousand uh, cogitations and deceptions of the heart. Truth that liberates our mind and our spirit. What a revelation. You've got to do it. I, you know, I just thought about doing the word. Uh, you know what drives me about, uh, batty about tech? 
I don't want to learn it. I did my doctor's thesis on an IBM typewriter, and by George, that's as far as we need to go. <laughs> and then people told me there's computers. And I started out with a little Mac. Looked like a little toy. And you go down here, and then, they, did you know there's this technology? And, you, and, then, and I've had people say, oh, I'll tell them, uh, show me how that works. Now show me and everything. And I'm this way. If you show me, a tech especially, if you show me and I immediately start applying it, I get it. Have you ever had anyone show you and then you stayed away from it for a week and you went back and said, what did they say? How do you do that? You see, you needed immediate application. The listening wasn't enough. You got to do it. I'm really a tactile audio learner. I can remember sermons. I can tell you sermons I heard when I was 16. I've read books to survive, but I'm really an auditory learner. If you can say it, I'll remember it. And I just think it's how many of you have heard so much that you've never put into practice, and you've never grown, you've never changed, and uh, sometimes you want to argue with the mirror. You don't even know how dirty you are because nobody could change you. And you won't hang out with God and his word long enough. God's nice. He'll tell you in private what's wrong with you. If you keep on, the whole world's going to know. Why don't you get with him privately? Say, why are you telling me that? Well, the whole church knows you're a gossip. And you've ignored God for the last year. So now we all know. It's a lot more fun for God to tell you, and we can still have coffee together. Well, now after I get through telling you, you're going to say, I'm meddling, and you're not going to buy me coffee. Well, what does true religion that works look like? First of all, he tells you what false religion looks like. Three things. Verse 26. Uh, first of all, a man that's just a listener and just religious, he has an unbridled tongue. Uh, and no telling what all that includes. Uh, bad language, gossip. But he says, at least, and James going to deal with the tongue in chapter 3, but he says, you know a man that's just a listener never does anything about his mouth because nothing's ever been changed in his heart, and you talk about what's in your heart. Two, uh, he's a person that's deceived. He may think he's saved. He may think he's obeyed. Have you ever talked about something and about doing something so long you finally gave yourself credit for doing it? You talked it so long. You've been going to clean that garage out for 10 years. When are you going to do it? You've been talking about losing that weight for 100 years. I'm going to lose. I'm going to do. I'm going to change. I'm going, I'm going, you know, I've done it. But why have you gained 30 pounds? Well, it was in my sleep. It just came on me. Just came over me. No, 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 no. You learned to talk about your problem and never change your behavior. You talk it to death. You got to change. You got ch to do something different. And then he says, the man's religion is worthless, and, and it's the word that it produces no end product. So, so it's a vain exercise. And then James just, just does a sample. He's not covering the whole dock of what true religion's like, but it's just in his context. James is such a practical writer. That's why we love them. It's just Christianity and leather, shoe leathers, McGee would say. It's just walking on the ground. He gets you out of the heavenlies. How does it work? How does it work? And he says this, I know that a man has been listening to God, obeying God. He'll do simple things like this. He will love people. And he'll begin with the least of people. And in this culture, a widow and an orphan were all the way down at the bottom because a widow would starve to death in Bible times unless children took them in. The state, Rome, didn't underwrite you. There was no Social Security. She would often become a beggar. If she was not a saved woman, she could become an immoral, sell herself just to eat. It was a vulnerable, pitiful state to be a woman without a husband in this culture and to have been widowed. So he tells the church in 1 Timothy, feed widows, take care of them. True religion, true religion 
will start looking at those the furthest down to do something to help them. It won't try to find somebody to convince them how much you know. It will find somebody you can help. And we've got a whole culture of orphans. We just call them gangbangers and street killers and kids that don't know dad or mom. We are a broken culture. When we talk about the American family, four out of ten people that live in the Bay Area are single. Four out of ten. I just read these stats. Uh, home, what's home? I talked to the men's class Wednesday night. 50% came from broken homes. I asked them, how many of you ever had your dad say he loved you? 50% said never. We don't know what. We got orphans all around this place. They're in our youth group. You don't get to see them. We got widows in this church. I was delighted to get to see a Betty Robinson coming, going down the stairs this morning. She and her husband, Robbie, when they were in this church together, sent tapes to the mission field. Helped Hazel at the work, doing something, has transcribed many of my sermons. This, let me tell you, I don't want to just be a young church. I want to be a church. We're a family church. You can have gray hair and be welcome here. You don't have to be a teeny bopper. Why don't you find somebody that's lonely, someone that is orphaned? Or would you dare want that kind of person at lunch with you? Are you going to get connected? You want to go with somebody that, you know, I don't, have, I don't have time for needs. Your religion is vain. You're a listener, not a doer, and your religion is bankrupt. It's the kind that sends people to hell. True religion falls in love with loving people who need help, and the man or the woman who does not have that on their heart does not have true religion. They don't know God. And there's something else. He says it's the kind of religion that makes the man show chastity towards his moral, personal life. He stays unspotted, unstained from the world. Jesus said, and Paul said in Ephesians 5, Jesus uses the word to scrub out of the bride all the stains and blemishes because he wants to present his bride on the wedding day without spot or wrinkle. He doesn't want the bride coming down the aisle on wedding day and these blotches all over. A little bit of tomato here, a little bit of ketchup there, and a little bit. So this is wedding day. And he said in James 4.4, if you sleep with the world, you will lose your virginity as the bride of Christ. You will lose your sanctification. You will become stained. And Christ says, my word is the soap by which I scrub the bride's garment. You're walking through a dirty world. You're walking through a world filled with manure. It's like a barnyard. Can you get through it and not be stained? Or do you come to the wedding day with manure all over the wedding dress? That's what he's saying. I think of Christians today in media. We let Hollywood rate our movies because they've got so much biblical discernment. PG-13, anything made in that category will not offend the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit offends everything in the PG-13. And you could tell all your brothers and sisters too, because you're really holy. You didn't go to an R-rated. I'm at the PGs. Well, the only thing at PG you can see is Lassie. See something? I, you know, let's go watch a little fornication tonight. Let's go watch a little adultery. Let's, look, let's go see how a man can murder someone. And this is our entertainment. We'll go to church tomorrow, but let's be entertained tonight. And, and, well, and Hollywood said it's okay. And Hollywood couldn't be wrong. Well, we're always telling people in this church, you've got to quit sleeping with each other and get married. Or we're going to take you to the church. Who, well, man, you guys are, you think you're holier than that. No, we've been considering this perfect law. Whatever it says, we want to say. Whatever it says, we better obey. 
Oh, 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 you're hooked on it. Well, we got a Savior. This word liberates. It's the perfect law that liberates. It'll set you free. Honey, you're not the only generation that had hormones. We all were born with them. You got to figure it out. And us folks who figured it out are no better than you. And we seem to be able to have children, somebody, some miraculous thing in our sleep. Church has been figuring out sex for a long time. Even the Jews had a few kids. How did they do that with the law? I don't know. Ask Moses. They seem to be all right with it. God's not against sex. Every one of you find a different church if I said that. He just wants it in the right place. He wants it with a gal that when she gets pregnant, when she gets big, when she's throwing up, and when she miscarries, or if she has a Down syndrome child, or she's in jeopardy, you won't leave her. You can sleep with anybody, but it takes guts and chutzpah to stay with who you sleep with. And see that your children are not illegitimate, but that they'll have a mom and dad that will protect. And the church said, Amen. That's what the Word of God says. It's doers, doers, doers of the Word. And let me tell you three reasons, and I'm done. Three reasons why we obey. See, you can be a legalist and obey for the wrong reason. You think you're earning God's favor. No, that's not why I want you to do it. I'll give you three reasons, and then I'm done. But the sermon won't be done. I've only preached the sermon. The sermon has yet to be done. You have to do it. That was a little heavy for you. I'll finish preaching. But that doesn't mean we've done it yet. Uh, three reasons why I think believers obey without legalism. Number one, hear this. If you love me, you will obey. John 14, 15. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. If you love me, you will obey my teaching. John 14, 23. 24. He who does not love will not obey my teaching. 1 John 5, 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Here's the question. I asked the first service, and they missed it. Which comes first, obedience or love? Who says love? Who says obedience? It seems, just study it out. I'll go easy. I won't put anyone on the spot. They seem to be this axiom. You don't love a God you won't obey. Wait, wait, wait. That, that, it, you, you don't love a God you won't obey, so I love a God that I do obey. I would think God would have to work in me to make me love him. And because I love him, I want to obey him. And I say, I love the person who wrote the letter. The Bible happens to be written by my Redeemer, the one who died for me. How many of you ever had a courtship where you exchanged letters? That's the best thing about courtship is when you're away and those love letters, we still got them. It's weird what you do with a love letter. Man, I'd get a letter. I was in Arkansas preaching all summer and Carolyn would send them. I'd get it. Smell that midnight in Rodeo? It was from the refinery. <laughs> you know, that was from the refinery. Uh, man, I'd smell the letter. And then I would read it, and she would say something like this. She, and she was very, she didn't say me, I loved you. She's very, not, I could mix it up. But she was, well, I, I like you. And come on. Then I'd say, I know she means to say, I love, love, love you. When you love the one who writes the letter, you've got time to read the letter. If you don't love the God who gave this Bible, don't waste your time reading it. It's a stranger talking to you. But when you 
when you know the letter writer, it's love that makes me want to obey. Two, I trust the one who wrote the letter. Without faith in God, it's impossible to please him. If you don't trust God, you can never please him, and you will never take his word to heart because you might be dealing with a liar. But we obey this God because we've trusted him. And we're what Solomon in 1 Kings 8, when he said at the dedication of the temple, we testify that of all the promises of God, not one has failed yet. Not one. We used to sing a little song, never fail me yet, never fail me yet. Jesus' love has never failed me yet. Anybody here ever trust his promise to get you through? And he kept his word. We read a book because we can trust its author. And finally, I go back to James. James says, whoever does the word of God, he will be blessed in everything he does. Verse 25, you thought I forgot it. No, I didn't, honey. This man will be blessed in what he does, and it's exactly Psalms 1. He that meditates on the law of the Lord both day and night, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that yields its fruit in its season. But the wicked are not like not so, but they are like the chaff that are blown by the wind. I tell you, if you abide in this word, if you look in this mirror, if you will obey this word, not just listen, not just hear about it, not just critique preachers, not just take a lot of notes, but say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You will be blessed in everything you do. Everything you do. I think of a boy growing up among Pentecostals as I did, people I love, people I know going to heaven. And uh, in those days, our, our faith was more practice than knowledge. We didn't know a whole lot, but we did what we knew. Paul and I used to canvas South Richmond. We would knock on doors and chancellor, down cutting. There was no part of Richmond we wouldn't hand out invitations to church. We, I learned to fast with them. I learned to pray with them. Uh, we went to prayer meetings that were better than the main service. The glory would fall in the prayer meeting. Now, I can't get you to a prayer meeting. We'd have prayer meetings. We'd pray an hour before, and the glory fell. That's where I learned to pray. I went with my sister, and I knelt by her. I didn't know how to pray. As soon as she hit her knees, it was like the windows of heaven opened, and that woman began to weep and intercede and pray. And I, I'm there, and I'm just, Lord, I love you. You know how I learned to pray? I didn't read any books on it. I hung out with people that prayed. In this church, there's three of us. Oh, I mean, there may be a few more. It's caught better than taught. Caught, and I'd pray, and we would fast, and we would do this and that. And then all of a sudden, I started going to all these Baptist schools and started getting all mixed up, finding out where there's election, and there's eternal security, and got all these great truths. Guess what? It didn't undo any of the practices I learned. I learned to pray. I learned to sing with folks that you wouldn't think are real smart. But I'm going to tell you, honey, we love God with everything in us. We loved his word. We love to sing in the spirit. We love to stay in church all Sunday night. We love to get happy in the Lord. We love to obey. We love to sing. We love to evangelize. Oh, make us doers of the word, not just hearers. I don't want a, a church full of listeners and you brag on me. Oh, you're the kind of preacher we want. We can brag ourselves right into being incompetent. I want you and I want me while I do this book in this year. You've been planning to pray and you haven't. When are you going to plan to really do it? You know you ought to witness. When are you going to do it? You, you know you ought to give to missions. You know you ought to be a giver. When are you going to do it? Do it. You don't need to hear another sermon on it. You just need to do it. Do it. And you will be blessed. You will be blessed. But you go around here bragging on me, and he's my preacher, and I love. You know what? This church, 
you got to hear two wonderful guys preach, Paul Crandall, and uh, you got to hear David Trotter last week. You know what? When I bring guest speakers to this church, you know what they say? We love to preach at your church. I said, why? I said, man, they amen. Uh, they get with you. Uh, you feel that uh, you don't know what it's like to be a preacher when you get a bunch of stone faces. You ain't doing anything to me, honey. Well, that ain't a lot of fun. It's no fun. But when you get with some folks that you see the glitter in their eye that they're tracking with you, they're getting it. Say, yes, keep on doing it. Yes. Well, I'm ready to go to a black church where they can sick me a little bit. You get with folks that go. I believe this thing. I believe this thing. But I've seen folks that come from shouting meetings that their walk never changed. They just full of church and choir and woo, we had a meeting. And we'll be playing poker tonight. And Jack will host us over the rocks. Because I can't watch a good game without being semi drunk in case my team loses. When is God going to change your walk? Your children are watching you. They think you're a joke. You got a tambourine and you got a semi-horse shout. And they're looking for you, how you treat them. They know you box them in the store. You know you call them Brad all the time and you never read the Bible. You never. They say, Mama, when will God change the way you act towards me? Does it ever change what you do? The symptoms of a healthy church, small, big, Pentecost or Baptist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, or mixed up is people who believe it enough, love God enough, believe God enough, and want to be blessed enough. Don't worry what other folks are doing. Are you going to do it? That's the question. That's the question. There is none like you. Father, we bless your name. We want to be healthy. It's easier for me to preach the truth, Lord, than it is to do it. That's why so many of us preachers are such big hypocrites. We preach great sermons and live lousy lives. And as many a church, we brag about, oh, we got a Bible church. Do we? Do we? Are we a Bible practicing church? Are we a praying church? Are we weeping you, James, told us to weep over our sinful condition and the condition of our country. I think the election's just wrapped up. And tonight we'll hear 1 Timothy 2 that tells us to pray for the new Congress, the new president, the new leaders of California, whatever. We all know the country's in a mess, Lord. I just wonder who among us will pray for it and not curse it, but intercede. Our homes are broken. Our kids are in trouble. Our streets are dangerous. And we can sit on this hill and brag that we know the Bible. What are we doing to reach an orphan, a widow, a kid in the hood who doesn't know his dad, or maybe a man that's wealthy that doesn't know God and is self-sufficient and smug, but he needs somebody to share the good news of how God could save him, save his home. You don't have to be broke, Lord. We know that to need you. Sometimes you have ways of getting our attention even when we're drowning in money and prosperity. People in every category need you. We want you, Lord, I'm not satisfied with just preaching the sermon. I'm praying that you would turn this church upside down to do everything we could do until Jesus comes and not us sitting around and ever let us brag that we've arrived. We've got plenty of change to do. I want to wash off the dirt that's on my face, everything you show me in your word. I want to repent. I want to ask you to renew me. I'm asking you to do it for me, Lord. I hope the church would join 
you and this book. Who knows what you might do with us if we ever decide to do it. Help us to quit getting ready to get ready. But may this be the day that we even come to Christ, that we repent of our immorality, our, our dishonesty with someone, our grudge towards someone, uh, our bad mouth with our children, the kind of home, letting Hollywood tell us what's acceptable to see without consulting you. Guard our eyes as we walk through this manure-infested world like a barnyard. Help us, help us, help us to quit being stained, soiled, and dirtied by the culture we've been asked to minister to. Do a work in the heart of people listening right now. You said your word convicts and then it corrects. We don't want to leave just convicted. We want you to correct our attitude, correct our inner man, whatever's going on. And as we sing this song, Lord, if there's anyone out there that this song is a lie to them because it says there's none, none like you, they may have another idol and they say, there is someone that does me as good as you, God. It's a, it's a lie in a coke. It's some relationship. It's some sin I'm into that I've been bowing before. Jesus told me to cut off my hand if it offends, get rid of my eye if it offends, and they've never got rid of the besetting sin that leaves them soiled, soiled, and shelved year after year. Cleanse us today. We're in a dirty world. And many of the saints have gotten the dirt. Scrub us. Give us convictions that are based upon the word, not on what Hollywood says we can do. May you be our standard. Bless your spirit, be grieved. And your spirit be withdrawn in blessing. We need your blessing, Lord. 